welcome to Between the Liars with Ryan and Josh. Hello there. And we have two guests joining us today. Chris from the Alt-Left Podcast. Good evening, everyone. And TJ Roberts. Hello, thank you for having me on. <laughs> Our law friend. Now, if you're wondering, I will admit this, if you're wondering why we are a few minutes late, it's because uh, we had a false start, and thankfully Josh <laughs> caught it so that we didn't do the entire segment as audio only released on Monday. So thank you, Josh. Kudos to him. This is why we, this is why we keep him around. This is why we, keep, uh, why we pay him the big bucks. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> All right, today we're going to be discussing gun control, and uh, this is going to be interesting because usually people on the left are the ones who are coming for the guns, and yet Chris, uh, not so much, and he's about no, as far no, left as you can possibly go. <laughs> I agree. <laughs> and uh, yeah, Chris has told me probably one of my favorite things I've heard in a long time. You go far enough left, you finally get your guns back. <laughs> yep. Uh, before we get into that, TJ, go ahead and do your disclaimer again, since that's how far we got the first time. <laughs> Absolutely. So... I am a law student. I am not a lawyer. I am not your lawyer. Nothing I say is legal advice. It's not legal advice to you. If you believe your rights are being violated, they probably are. But whether a court will agree is uh, another question. So you should contact a lawyer who is actually licensed to practice in your jurisdiction. And the views that I express are my views. They are my views alone. Some of them are jokes. Don't take them too seriously. And they don't <laughs> represent the views of any of my employers, any universities with which I'm associated, or any other organizations with which I associate. There we go. How can you tell when someone's graduated the first year of law school? The first thing they tell you is, Everything they say is not legal advice. <laughs> yes. We should so only pre-record this in the future, and that way <laughs> you just be like, boom, right on the screen. <laughs> <laughs> I'm reading a teleprompter. That's why I'm looking <laughs> when you get the teleprompter over the screen, then that's the point of a teleprompter. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, I See, see, Ryan, we need a reverse of being like, we work for the government. Please come bother our employers. They have to listen to you. Oh, man, if only. I don't, I don't think any of us are likable enough to be employed by the government. Although, I know, well, actually, there's plenty of unlikable people, so I don't know. It's a toss-up. Have you been to the, the DMV? <laughs> We're lapdogs. <laughs> All right, uh, we've heard the buzzword common sense gun control thrown around a lot by senators, representatives, talking heads for legacy media, probably your favorite podcaster who's involved in politics, maybe us. I don't think we've thrown that around. But I am curious how the people present in this conversation would define common sense gun control. What would you be in favor of, if anything, and what would you support, if anything? Uh, I think that the term common sense, and it's probably going to bug TJ too, um, because nothing leads to issues in legality than vagary. Um, and common sense, what does that mean? Common sense means nothing. Common sense changes from generation to generation, from person to person, from demographic to demographic. And so what is common sense to one person? Some There are liberals out here who are like, well, the Air 15 looks scary, and unless it's polka dot, I don't want it. And that's just common sense. And some people are like, we should give every toddler a howitzer and that is also i don't <laughs> believe be common sense howitzers. yeah i mean that like the first platform but but, they, but these views exist and people who hold them believe them to be common sense so i hate that term it's a buzzword it means nothing it's like people who say proactive all the time it, it, it's a it's a non sequitur and i think it's a way to earn brownie points like look at joe biden right this tragedy happens and everyone's like oh you know all the right wingers are capitalizing on the liberals are just as bad he went there's like we need we need the government to do some common sense. Like, aren't you the head of state, bro? Like, he's in there bitching about the government not doing anything, whereas he is the executive. And and all he does is put up more vagaries. Like, we need common sense reforms, but none. that. And there's never specifics to be had. Empty platitudes of sorts. Uh, Josh or TJ, your thoughts? 
Yeah, I mean, I think we'd all agree like legal vagaries are going to legal vagary. Um, that that's always going to be a fundamental problem that anyone and and that anyone who cares about a well-functioning society should be mindful of as well. Like there's a reason it's not just, Oh, it's vague and confusing. Like, no, it's vague and problematic that you don't know what's written in the law. Cause you write, you know, we shall have common sense laws and, and they will do things like this. The write in like these colloquial phrases or things can that be interpreted differently and they will end up getting interpreted differently down the line. Cause that's what the court system does. Congress passes laws. They get, interpreted by the court system and you know tested to see what works and what doesn't work so language like this is always they're always looking for a way to and it's the other thing is that about modern politics is you're always looking away from market you know and brand it you know you're always looking for okay we're going to call it and whether that's to deride it or to promote it whether you know you're going to like name it obamacare which started off as derision, but then Obama embraced in his campaign and, you know, people fell in with it and worked with it. But it wasn't, it was something that was originally thrown at the campaign. So I think those things are also interesting as well, because as much as it's those empty platitudes, it's marketing platitudes as well. Um, Cause that's what a lot of the, you know, a lot of politics is just marketing your own personal brand within kind of this sick influence influencer sphere that we call politicians. We are also in an election year, right? So we're coming up on midterms. Whatever politician does not throw out some of these, what we have deemed empty platitudes is going to be sacrificed uh, or primary. Like it, it will not go very well for them. Uh, TJ, your thoughts to kind of kick this off. Yeah. So I agree with just about everything that, has been said i to add on to it though we have seen in post-persuasion america where everyone has their opinions already they've already been established and really they're just looking for a response reaffirming rhetoric we have seen the immersion of society into the era of meaningless words and common sense is truly a meaningless word because it means a different thing for every single person and it, it gives vagueness it gives rhetoric because like when people say it's just common sense we're thinking don't cross the street when a car is barreling at you at 70 miles per hour we're thinking wash your hands after you go to the bathroom we're, we're thinking make your pri get your priorities straight right we're thinking that, and in addition as well Describing it as common sense is taking your side and saying you guys are the only reasonable side. And that if anyone is against what you are saying, you simply are unreasonable and you're not deserving of consideration. It's, it, I mean, I would say that the common sense, the common sense solutions are an attack against people who disagree, who are free thinkers. Um, what policies would I support? I would support a complete and total abolition of every gun law. In fact, I would, so, I mean, in the same way I support voting rights for felons, I would support gun rights for felons. I think that if you don't trust them with a gun, don't let them out of prison. Um, I mean, the, I mean, okay. If I had to support something, I'd support a ban on biological, chemical, and nuclear weapons. There you go. So you do support some restriction. I support amending the set. I I'd support amending the Second Amendment to uh, make that clear. Oh my God! You are the first person I've talked to who actually agrees with me on that point because it bothers me that we keep looking to the House and the Senate to fix our problems for us 
when this is a right guaranteed by the Second Amendment. And if we can just decide that Congress gets to say, like, mm, no to the Second Amendment right, what happens? I mean, we we have the Supreme Court who's decided we don't have a Fourth Amendment right anymore. So what happens when our First Amendment right gets taken away? Or a Fifth Amendment right? Thirteenth Amendment right? Like, at what point do we just say the Bill of Rights doesn't matter anymore? Uh, the Bill of Rights is supposed to be absolute and is only supposed to be taken away by or edited by amending the Constitution. And I believe if we actually want true gun reform that is meaningful, we need to amend the Second, Second Amendment to something that society wants. And we need to be like Jefferson, where we write a new Constitution every 25 years. I am. Um, yeah. I'll add to that. I, I am open to, if we want to pass these things, to amending the Constitution. But I, I am. I have gradually become more absolutist in both First and Second Amendment. Um, I, I'm pretty much of the opinion now that any law that restricts lawful firearm possession or use is by definition unconstitutional because it is an infringement of sorts. I think that if we want to change that, we would have to change the Constitution. I think that you can always argue the net good, but, but anybody can argue the net good to justify the end goal. So I think that by definition, those wind up becoming unconstitutional. That, that, those are my thoughts. Oh, Would yeah. you say I, I, that I, I, maybe like under no pretext, uh, arms and ammunition should not be surrendered? You say under. <laughs> <laughs> I, so, <laughs> I would I would grant the exception of I think that for violent felons, I think that there needs to at minimum be a waiting period before they're going to get those back. I those are the one group of people that I don't think should get those back because they've they've broken the social contract in that instance. However, there are nonviolent felonies you can easily rack up and then take away the arms from people, and I don't think those people should have their arms or ammunition restricted. Listen, Bernie Madoff does not need a gun. <laughs> <laughs> Ryan makes a good well, point, and he and I actually talked yeah. about that when we were talking about elections before. It's like you can have a felon. I mean, what, white, or, I mean, it's like if you're if you're knocking over a liquor store with a firearm. You shouldn't have firearm rights. Right. If you commit a tax evasion, I don't see why that takes away your right to vote or why that takes away your right to own a firearm. That doesn't make sense. You have not broken the social contract with violence or with a weapon. Yeah. You and shouldn't be allowed to prepare anyone's taxes ever again. I, but, so I get, <laughs> your, I get your point, Ryan, but historically, mm -hmm. even that wasn't necessarily the case. So, like, okay. historically, a felony was defined as something that we kill you over. Sure. Um, it was something that was punishable by death. And, and at that point, I could understand it. If, like, if we're willing to kill you for what you've done, you've kind of forfeited your right to self-defense at that point. Um, however, like my take is if we sentence someone to prison for a set period of time and then we let them out, I, I, the only thing that I could see historically making sense at that point would be the use of a surety bond at that point where – you have a tangible asset or property or something along those lines, which there are classist indications to it. I get that perspective to it, but it is something that is constitutional of if there's a reasonable reason to believe that someone is going to commit a crime with that mm -hmm. gun, then you put up the bond. And if you commit a crime with that, then you lose it. That, that's cool. And that's been used before. Real quick, then do you uh, believe that people who are you know, convicted serial pedophiles should be allowed to be teachers in schools. They shouldn't allow to be out of prison. Fair, but let's that that happens. You know, <laughs> so, someone 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 who commits an act on a child will face a sentence and can get out of prison. So that's already set in stone. So they're out of prison now. Do you believe that it's right to restrict them from you know being Boy Scout leaders and hanging out around elementary schools? Because I do. I I think that it is too, but that's because that's not a constitutional right. 
Yeah, it was freedom of movement. Absolutely. Being within a certain amount of feet of a school is an absolute violation of your constitutional right. And, and, again, uh, and, and so, so is writing a letter to the president making death threats. Like that's a that that technically flies in the face of the First Amendment. Obviously, the Supreme Court has said there needs to be some kind of reasonable accommodation for it. I just believe, but I think that that needs to be voted on and, and encouraged by the body politic, not by political parties. So, like, I believe in there should be some gun reform. Like, I actually one of the few restrictions I believe I like uh, is waiting periods. I don't believe a 10-day waiting period is out of line, and that is actually statistically shown to save a ton of lives. A cooling off period of 10 days is nothing. Um, I believe in closing gun show loopholes. Not that you shouldn't be able to transfer firearms at a gun show. I don't understand why the ATF can't set up a card table with two guys in a cheap suit and a laptop and do a dross, and do a dross background check right there and then. You know, and I believe in things like maybe even raising the age to 21 because that's ha our, half the rights in our society. Wait until you're 21. But that would be like the most egregious I would allow. Mm. Capacity magazines, outlawing models. These are these are against the spirit of the Second Amendment. Mm. And the, the spirit of the Second Amendment was that people would have the right to defend themselves against tyranny. So that adults should not be held captive for threats of violence in their own homes. So I want to jump on something that you mentioned, because uh, raising the age to 21, especially for specific types of weapons, like we already have it set to you have to be 21 to purchase and own a handgun. Mm -hmm. Same. And then one of the House proposals was for both AR shotguns, et cetera, like basically you have to be 21. So my question and the problem that I have and where I think that the logic train is no longer consistent there is if, if I am deemed mentally competent enough to vote for the people who are going to make the laws in my country, why am I not deemed... Uh, barring crimes that I've committed, why would I not be deemed uh, like a full-fledged adult? Like my, my, my thoughts are either raise the age to 21 for everything or let 18 be like, I, I feel like this half. Uh, I don't, I don't think working. you're wrong. Actually. I think it should be 21 for everything. I mean, okay. the reason 18 is the age is because we need that for the military. I, I believe I it should be 21 for the military, 21 for drinking, 21 for everything. I, I believe 21 should be the adult age. That's when your prefrontal mm -hmm. cortex is developed. Okay. Well, I will you give know, you that at least neurologically that's, you're that is, that is the most consistent I've seen. What I, what I'm not in favor of is, is, and you see this a lot from current Democrats, is, well, really, we should lower the age to 16 to vote because, you know, these people, they have rights, right? But then they say that they're not developed enough to be able to purchase a firearm. And I was like, well, if you can if you can serve your country, I, I think that, you know, why, why when yeah. you get home, if they can hand you an actual assault weapon, a, a an actual automatic weapon, why when you get home can you not defend yourself? Like, that's, that's the problem that I have with that. But at least that's consistent. There would be an aspect of a highly structured and organized training operation. And as we've we talked about before the show, the importance of firearm wielder safety and knowledge and competency is one of, is some of the best fire, if you know, firearm safety and injury, you know, prevention uh, mechanisms is, you know, you know, when we think about how the military operates and having these young kids have access to these firearms, it's nothing like actually going out and purchasing a firearm. You go and you get your firearm and it gets unlocked from the case it's in and then it gets handed to you and you sign for it and then you go to the range and you shoot and you come back, turn your weapon back in, sign it in. And then when you go back to your barracks, they pat you down and search you to make sure you don't got any bullets or, or, or shells casings with you because you can't have those either because no brass goes back into the sleeping quarters no live you know just as a final safety check um and so yeah there would be those younger people in and around firearms but in a highly coordinated and structured 
environment that is not representative of a young person getting into a heated conflict on the street and ending horribly in violence because they're young and dumb and not in, you know, a very structured environment with several sergeants yelling at them, you know, to keep their rifle pointed down the, you know, down the shooting range. So I think the military even like kind of highlights what I, I think a lot of people desire out of the sense of gun control of like, yeah, there are useful and effective and safe ways to be in around firearms. The general population isn't doing that. Um, ergo, it's going to always be kind of dangerous when you have a lot of people just running around with machines. They don't know how to operate. Well, let me, I mean, let me, but you're making an argument for not having cars. I mean, all <laughs> hail uh, robots with overlords. I mean, all Halo robots are overlords. I would personally, um, for me, we see you know several hundred thousand people die per year on the roads. So the moment we're able to develop technology sufficient enough to protect humans in that regard, I think we at least should uh, consider like, hey, maybe let the robot do that. Less dead people. And even even though those robots are all controlled, those robots have to either be controlled by a private corporation or by a government. Do you really trust either one of those? With your safety? I mean, as much as you can trust a Ford Pinto. <laughs> this, I, I do want to push back on what Josh mentioned with people running around. That's an, oh, okay, hold on. <laughs> I, think it's I, I would much rather drive a Ford Pinto than have the federal government drive me around. <laughs> <laughs> to push back on what Josh said about people running around, I'll, I'll give you some context. I shot competitively for 14 years. I started when I was 11. Every year at Nationals, there were a minimum of 2,500 or probably 3,500 kids ranging from the ages of like 12, 13 up into college. Nobody got hurt. Nobody. And I understand that like you could, but like to me, I really think that that pushes back against the idea that people are just running around and like that, that represents people from all over the U.S. who are trained. So to me, the issue is not the weapons and you don't need the parental enforcement of the government to ensure that you need proper instruction. Um, well, and I'll, Go ahead. Well, I was going to say, at that point, though, those kids were not walking into Walmart purchasing a gun and then deciding what to That's do. They true. were under parental supervision. Again, if you, I mean, I've, I've had friends who are competition shooters. I've been a shooter most of my, um, you know, I, since before I was 18. But, like, shooting competitions are extremely well-regulated, you know? Um, there are there are lane marshals. There are parents there. There are authority figures. It's like saying, you know, like, well, kids live in houses, so they should get into the real estate market. Well, no. <laughs> they, they have supervision. They have a guardian. <laughs> to guide them until they're of age. And I believe shooting is the same way. I don't have a problem with a 12-year-old being a competition shooter. Not at all, as long as they're being guided by an adult. I think that my personal beliefs, because like Tennessee and Kentucky are constitutional carry. If you don't know what that means, it basically means you don't need a permit. Um, yeah. <laughs> sorry, California probably doesn't know what that is. <laughs> uh, uh, like, up until I, Ronald Reagan, <laughs> California was too. True. Fair point. <laughs> but <laughs> And my how it has changed. Um, but the, the, the point being... As long as you weren't in violation of law, you could carry. Now, I believe if you're going to carry, then it is your responsibility to know how to use your weapon. And not just, and I don't mean just plinking at the range. I mean like taking the intensive training for self-defense so that you can think calmly, you can pay attention to all of the things that are going on. But here's where I deviate. I don't think that that should be enforced by the government because I don't think that that's their purview to enforce, well, you need X amount of training, you need X amount of licensing. Like, I think that you as an individual, you bear that individual responsibility. And I don't think that the government should be the one to enforce it in that instance. 
Well, but then how does the government so, enforce traffic laws, like stop signs? I mean, if we're, if we're going to say the government can restrict your freedoms for the safety of the body politic, and again, I, I'm not trying to carry this into a, into a slippery slope sure, argument, sure. but I think it, the analogy persists. If we're going to say the government says, I have to stop my car at red lights and stop signs, I can't drive drunk. I can't do 134 sure. through a school zone. It's the same thing. Now, I, I actually do think that a right to carry concealed should be a constitutional right pendant. It should be like a driver's license. Like, it should be an absolute right that does require a certification. Now, I believe the certification should be on the onus of the government. I do not believe an individual should have to pay for that or get private training. No, it should be like the DMV. It's taxpayer funded. You go, you do a safety course, you take an eval, you pass tests, and you get re-evaled every couple of years. But I believe if someone can show that they are mentally and emotionally competent to own a firearm, they can pass a safety and tactics test, pass a legal test to know when and they can and if shoot, you know, draw their weapon, yep. then I believe concealed carry or open carry should be completely legal. Yep. I just believe the government should take an active role in that and promote safety. And right now we have a government that simply does knee-jerk reactions towards mm -hmm. tragedies. And I would love it if that energy could be brought towards actually helping people yep. rather than handcuffing them. And I, th I think that none of what you said is unreasonable. Like, I, I think, but but where I draw this line, this goes back to what we were talking about earlier. I think if we want to do that, it needs to be a constitutional amendment. Because by giving the yes. government the ground to enforce, so I don't think that's unreasonable. I think it's unreasonable given the current framework. And I think that what you're seeing here is uh, we're going to get into some of the Senate and House proposals. And every one of the senators says, you know, we finally got bipartisan, quote unquote, support for the Senate bill. And... The Democratic senators say this is just one of the next 500 steps we need. And I was like, okay, we give you an inch. And we were like, okay, this is not unreasonable. Let's go with this. They take a mile. And so for me, while I don't disagree with anything you just said, I disagree under the framework of allowing the government to operate on that purview tends to erode and does push us down that slippery slope. And that's what I'm wary of. Okay. So um, I'm going to go one by one on these. So <laughs> first, raising the age. Um Joseph Greenlee actually has some really good scholarship on it that shows like the time of the founding, pretty much the moment their age was no longer on an analog clock. They had the they had just about equal Second Amendment rights. Now I get the times have changed, but once again, like if we want to change those age requirements, um, I think there needs to be a constitutional amendment waiting periods there was no analog to the time of the founding which that's really like the based on the supreme court decision that came today is you, for something to be constitutional you kind of have to have an analog to it to show that this modern statute is analogous to a statute from at the time of the founding and based on the public understanding of the second amendment waiting periods are well intentioned but i mean there's policy considerations there too i mean we're talking about if someone has an imminent threat against them, they don't necessarily have 10 days to wait. What I do you mean? The police will protect you. <laughs> <laughs> Federal courts have repeatedly held that they have no duty to do so. <laughs> no can, can, I, can, I, can, I, can I throw a rebuttal in there? Just a question? Sure. So yeah. um, if – I literally just had a brain fart. Sorry. Um, <laughs> um Wow, what was the point you just made? Because it set off all my alarm bells, and I've completely lost it. It's been a long day. I'm very sorry. Oh, oh the founding fathers. So if, if we're going to – my question to you is, if we're going to take every advancement in legality from the, the time frame of the founding fathers, 
how does that fit for anything in modern society? Because that takes away the right of women to vote. That take, I mean, the founding fathers didn't believe in an abolition of slavery. They didn't believe in, in racial equality, in gender equality, um, in any of that. So that, 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 that worries me. And again, slippery slope is a logical fallacy, but it's not when it comes to legal matters. Slippery slope is real. Um, and it's no, impressive. I'm not even going to accuse you of slippery yeah. slope on that, but I mean, to put it simply with women's right to vote, 19th Amendment, racial equality, 14th Amendment. Uh, I mean, it's just a matter that they've amended the Constitution accordingly. Uh, and I mean, a lot of the founders did like, I mean, the the original draft of the Declaration of Independence, um, albeit written by a slave owner, um, condemned slavery as repugnant. Um, I mean, there there is a mixed history in that regard. But I'm not even talking about the perspective of the founding fathers. That uh, I'm not an original intent originalist. I'm an original public meaning originalist. Okay. So what what did the words mean at the time that they were written? Right. What were the statutes on the books? Right. So I mean, so so yeah. Like I mean, it doesn't really like. I mean, just an example of it. Like what the legislators intended to have. And that's more spirit of the law. Like that's, that's more what you were kind of arguing. Oh, no, enough, uh, not to, point, you not to do a no you in a reverse. No, we're going to agree on this one. The yeah. founding fathers wanted the citizenry to have the apex of military hardware. Oh, the idea oh, that, that was, oh that they couldn't there. have envisioned an AR-15. Of course they could have. If we had laser weapons, they'd want us to have those. The founding fathers oh. wanted an armed republic. It's also a misconception I mean, that, that they didn't have more than just your flintlocks. Those were just what was available for the price that they yeah. were. Like they had repeating rifles, etc. Right. Mm-hmm. Girondoni air rifle. I mean, people owned full-blown warships privately at the time. Yeah. Um, but but I mean, so that's the thing. It's like you look at the common practices, you look at the laws that were on the book, they were extremely narrow. They I, in many ways didn't exist at all. So you had the age restriction. Like my problem was just like, there's a long standing history of second amendment rights for young people. I happen to agree with you in terms of like the fact that there should be one uniform age for everything. Um, my, my take on that is like, there should be a serious policy discussion on that. And then they should amend the constitution accordingly. Um, like I mean, pretty much right now, the 26th Amendment is where the 18 number comes from. So I'd, I'd argue at the moment of the current constitutional framework, it should be 18 for everything. Um, but I would argue that if we want to raise it up to 21 when your brain is fully formed, okay, that's fine. If people want to lower it, okay, that's fine. It's just whatever body politic comes to with the Constitution, I'd, I'd be fine with that. Um, let's see. So we have waiting periods, which my whole concern is like, is once again i don't see an an analogy to the time of the founding for that i also don't see i i also see a lot of possible negative consequences for people who like really didn't see the need to have a gun until the need arose and then they have that that crisis where they need to get a gun and now you're forcing them to either commit a felony to protect house and home or like pack up their bag and get a hotel room and hope to God's crazy stalker doesn't find them. Right. And, and sure we get petitioned to court, but that implicates other possible considerations where we wind up clogging the court even more than it already is. Right. So like th- those are some of my concerns with waiting periods. What, so we have raising the age waiting periods. What were the other things you said you'd be fine with in the event of a constitutional amendment? Uh, right, yeah. Raising the age 21 waiting periods. And wasn't that it? Cause I I'm, I'm in favor of okay. very few. Oh, um, okay. closing um, um, transfers, oh, gun, show uh, gun shows and inheritance. Um, I believe yeah. you should be able to. I just simply 
think it's I think the government has dropped the ball and it's it, it costs very few dollars to have an ATF agent do a dross check. Fair. I'm actually I think that's actually the most egregious of the three that you proposed. Um, I like the other two aren't particularly egregious. I just disagree with them on policy and constitutional mm -hmm. perspectives. But I think that background checks are particularly egregious, especially since the system that we have, which is pretty efficient, funny enough, um, 95% of all denials are, are false. And 90 and all and an overwhelming majority of those denials are from minorities where they have the same name as someone. It's particularly prevalent in black and Hispanic um, communities. Um, it's it's a bad system that we have right now. And once again, like I don't think someone's past should define their present rights. I mean, we in the in the Sixth Circuit, so Tennessee, Kentucky, Ohio, and Massachusetts. Um, we have Tyler versus Hillsdale, which actually struck down um, Form 4473 G, which is the one regarding mental health. Um, originally, it was if you've ever been judged as mentally deficient, um, you cannot have a gun ever. This guy was institutionalized, and I mean, we're talking decades later after he was released, fully functioning guy has shown that he doesn't have any mental deficiencies that makes him incapable of being rational. He tries to buy a gun, he gets denied, he sues, and they state that, no, it, the, the, it, the, the Second Amendment was about whether someone was presently dangerous. It was okay to preclude guns from the, those who are presently dangerous, citing to surety laws, which I'd actually say that even barring presently dangerous people's not necessarily constitutional surety laws, because surety laws were just, you posted a bond. And if you posted the bond, then you could. Um, but... I don't like because it it marginalizes those who are already marginalized, especially with mental illness. People who are mentally ill are actually less likely to be violent. Mm -hmm. It has severe complications for minority communities where we have, uh, I mean, we just have that unfortunate outcome where most denials are among minority communities and 95% of denials in the NIC system is wrongful. Mm -hmm. I mean, background checks actually terrify me. Uh, just so you know, I actually don't disagree with most of that. Um, I actually, when I was speaking about dross checks, I was talking about simple, simple registration. Um, mm -hmm. That firearms, firearms transfers should be regulated and, and uh, recorded. Mm -hmm. um, so I do want some background checks, but I actually agree with you. It is what we have now is currently ridiculously over the top. Um, I personally believe that it would be more like, I think we should have something like more like a no-fly list. Where if someone has done something egregious, there should be maybe a temporary hold with a period of time where if they if if nothing can be proven that they haven't committed any more egregious acts or crimes, it vanishes on its own. It has an expiration date of like one year, something like that. Because again, we have that for no fly list. We have that for people who are worried about terrorism. Like we accept these things in our society, which even then I don't necessarily agree with, but some people do represent a danger to society, but I think you have a good point, TJ, where that at a certain point we're trading safety for we're trading, trading safety and security for liberty, and we do have to let people have their civil rights. Um, so, yeah. no, I think uh, things like imminent, imminent uh, domestic violence, right? Very recent criminal, violent criminal acts, by the way, only, um, and things like where there have been institutionalism, institutionalized stuff that are violent precursors, and they have an expiration date. And that would be pretty much the only things you could possibly get me behind on a background check. 
Okay. Okay. That, and that, even that is yeah. like, that's my max. Because <laughs> right. even now, like, I say that, and like, I'm already feeling a little nauseous with some of those words coming out of my mouth. So, like, that, yeah. I'm I telling mean, you what my limit would be for what I think would be even slightly fair. So, I, I want to yeah. go back to okay. what you said, Chris, about uh, you said like simple registration and transfer. I, I understand, and, and I correct me if I'm misrepresenting what your position on this was. Usually, transfers like so we can track. So, in the event that this gun was used in a crime, we can track who it who. Exactly. Who, who, does. who did it belong to? So then my question then is, why why allow for the government oversight there? Because, I mean, if it's, it, a lot of times these, these are committed with stolen weapons by people who shouldn't have had mm-hmm. them to begin with under the current system, right? Correct. So I guess my concern with that, especially as weapons that are stolen, is is usually it doesn't catch the people that we're trying to catch. And usually... It, it pinches the people that we're not trying to pinch. No, but it, it's an ounce of prevention. It's like having a license plate on your car. You know, okay. you have a license plate in your car. You have a you have a VIN number on your engine, your door. Yep. Uh, the government is aware of who owns that vehicle. Yep. Now, if someone steals your car and, and robs a bank with it, you're not liable. Sure, because you can be like, no, I was at home asleep, and right here's my GPS. Like, yep. no, I, and, and, and there's a there's a nine foot tall woman doing that, so that is not me. Um, you know, you're fine. It yep. simply tracks who the car was, and it sure. actually would aid to something like, where did it come from? Who took it? You know, yep. it gives. It, it's. I don't have a problem with the serial number. Okay. You know, I think. I think TJ's point about background check and making people unworthy of rights is the big issue. Yeah. Tracking of, of of what zip code does the hardware belong in doesn't bother me. Sure. I think for me, where it bothers me is just the general premise that it is the government overseeing. Like it's just the government oversight, and I think that there's definitely what you brought up fair reasons to have it be done again though i think that 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 i'm just gonna as long as the constitution is the way that it is i i do have the advantage of you know i i'm just defending the status quo and I'll, I'll admit that but that that's the constitution does insist though that the second amendment and the impacts it creates be to quote well regulated and see that's and that's, that's, that's the constitution where it charges it doesn't the, but, but it charges the states with that <laughs> So it's, that it's not just they will have militias. This is an interesting conflation ones. that politicians have brought up, though. Is yeah. that well, well regulated huh. in its in its pre in, in its original intent was that the militia themselves would be well regulated, not that the government would be regulating the weapons. But see, that's precisely my point. When we go back to why I said, you know, when we examine the whether it was competition shooting or the cases of military where people were considered to be too young to make decisions that would appropriately and tell them to full access to a firearm we all agreed that in the hyper organized and structured positions where the firearms controlled and there's systems of authority and everyone knows what they're doing and is acting along whether that is imposed by the federal government or it's being imposed internally we're falling into a very very odd position of the rules of where we're like, listen, we don't care how the world turns out to be. We just care who does it. If the world all ends and everyone's lives get terrible, but the state government's made the decisions every step of the way, absolutely. But if the feds do it, now I can get angry. But if the state governments burn the world down, let's go. What? But if the federal government makes that same decision, no, we can't do that. So you have a and problem with that? I, well, I do think it gets it gets a little bit down into that. It's hyperbolic. I think it, Josh it, is right. If yeah, now it falls into the we're no longer concerned about what the rule is, and we're just concerned particularly about who's enforcing it, rather than what the rule is in and of itself. Uh, because when we find that we're willing to accept a rule from one actor 
and not from another, then it says both a lot about the rule and the actor and like power relations that were like relied to it. Cause like a large of this part is just based on that we don't trust the broad centralized structure of the government. Airby, we don't want this particular power in their hands. But if a less centralized government made that same decision, we would be fine with that decision. Well, yeah, that's that's the very premise of the enumerated powers, and that we gave the states greater leash than the federal government because we were getting away from unilateral what became tyranny. Uh, yeah, like, and, and I understand. Wait, wait, wait what you're keep saying. reading the history book. What happened almost a hundred <laughs> years later because of that? Which, what are you talking about? Which part? The Civil War. Like, the idea of the enumerated powers are the golden the golden law that can't change. I mean, it's a confederacy argument. I mean, the thing is, well, is, is that, and I am I am no fan of the federal government. Sure, Trust me. Sure, sure. I, I, I am not waving an FBI flag here and saying this is great. <laughs> it's uh, in no, the background the fed- for our audio listeners. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think the federal government is, 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 especially things like the FBI and CIA, are, are, are filled with egregious crimes. Yeah. Um, but sort of the state. And currently we have half, you know, a third of the states in the union who are basically starting to pass laws saying, eh, women aren't really people. And that is troublesome big time, Um, you know, because no matter where you stand on like things like abortion, that's a personal morality choice, Um, you know, and that's fine. There is nothing wrong with saying I am pro-life and I do not believe that murdering a fetus inside of someone is the proper way to deal with consequences of actions. There's nothing wrong with that. That's a logical argument. The illogical part is when I say now I'm also going to decide what you can do about that. And states want that right. States want the right to override body autonomy and that's the one thing that always weirds me out about the right because the right is about personal liberty about autonomy about the right to do with your body with your life with your future with your money with your assets whatever you have the right to do what you will to sow your own destiny and yet the right is so happy to immediately sign over all of that to the state government as long as it's not the federal government they're like oh no as long as my state government is the one oppressing me (laughs) totally fine And it's weird because I want that energy against federal oppression brought to state oppression. I don't know why it never happens. I I would be with you to bring it against the state. That's fine. I mean. um, So I'm just going to say right now, this take is brought to you by Heaven Hill. Um, (laughs) But um, since uh, so I'm against registration, Um, I'm going to go like sort of point by point. I like my guns the way I like my immigrants. Undocumented. but um, sorry, the inner libertarian in me comes out whenever we're talking about guns. Um, but in all seriousness, there I, I do have concerns about registration, just on the grounds of I I, I, I analogize Second Amendment stuff to First Amendment stuff. Where, where there is a right to exercise a right, there is a right to exercise said right in privacy. I mean, simply put, I, I have a feeling that everyone in this group is going to agree that there are parts of this system that are is inherently oppressive of minority populations mm-hmm. in some capacity whether <laughs> whether it's anywhere from all of it to restricted to one specific policy or restricted to a general field area like for me like the drug war is the most emblematic mm. even though the drug war killed my white dad but that's another point for another day um but it's one of those things that it's like it clearly disproportionately affects minorities and frankly if we give the government the power to know who has a gun that can be the difference between a search warrant from Barney Fife to a no-knock from a SWAT team. Yep. I, I don't trust them with that, that authority. See, but that's uh, the thing. Is I, I, I agree with your motive there. Again, I think you're right. 
it's I don't I, I guess we I think we just draw the line a few inches on a different side because I actually sure. uh, agree with you that yes, pretty much all gun control is racist in this country historically. Um, gun control has always been racist. It is usually reactionary towards racial groups rising against oppression. Uh, that's always yeah. what it is. Um, the mo- by the way, the most right wing member of the Supreme Court agrees with you now. Yeah. Um, did you did you read what the Justice Thomas said regarding uh, gun control today? No, I didn't hear that. No, what did he say today? The, um, he so he just the New York State Rifle and Pistol Association versus Bruin decision was just released, which strikes down New York's May issue concealed carry licensing scheme, which is awesome that they struck it down. Um, but Justice Thomas delivered the opinion, and here's a statement that he made: A short prologue is in order. Even before the Civil War commenced in 1861, this court indirectly affirmed the importance of the right to keep and bear arms in public. Writing for the court in Dred Scott versus Sanford, Chief Justice Taney offered what he thought was a parade of horribles that would result from recognizing that free blacks were citizens of the United States. If blacks were citizens, Taney fretted, they would be entitled to the privileges and immunities of citizens, including the right, quote, to keep and carry arms wherever they went. Thus, even Chief Justice Taney recognized, albeit unenthusiastically in the case of blacks, that public carry was a component of the right to keep and bear arms, a right free blacks were often denied in antebellum America. I mean, there it is. The one time in my entire life I will agree with Clarence Thomas on something. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, no, like, I mean, Clarence Thomas, like, grilled the grilled the history of carry restrictions and largely tied it to the fact that there is a highly racist past behind it. But you're talking about and, restriction, though, not registration. That's the thing. It's like, again, I don't have a problem with the government sure. knowing what car is in my driveway. I have a problem with them saying I can't drive it. And it's the same yeah. thing. I don't have a problem with gun registration. Now, I don't want them enforcing any gun bans with it, though. And I think it just comes to where do we draw that hard line? Yeah. I My, my whole problem is just in the matter of, like, just – it's a power that's ripe for abuse, whether it's the potential slippery slope into a gun grab or it's to there's a search warrant to see if someone has pot in their house. That's but particularly I mean, we, we relevant. We live in a world where we can gun down toddlers with toys and we shoot people. We shoot people of color who have cell phones. Uh, oh, yeah. Well, I mean, I, well, that's another th- well, that, that's another thing you might you might agree with Clarence Thomas on. He's oh, being the war Don't drum make it too. <laughs> he, he he's the he's the one member of the Supreme Court who has openly called for the abolition of qualified immunity, which is so weird because he was on board with saying the Fourth Amendment doesn't apply to a hundred miles of the coast. <laughs> like it's so weird the shit takes this guy takes, and then he's like, it's like uh, one moment he's like, I'm all about liberty. Also, fuck Mexicans. And it's like, what the hell, dude? Like it's so it's so weird the the, the coin flip he takes legally. It makes no uh, sense. Today, yeah, listen, you know it when you see it. <laughs> today, today is Clarence Thomas's birthday, by the way. Um, That's a shame. Oh no, I love it, man! On his birthday, he gave 335 million Americans a gift in the form of of the Bruin decision. Yeah. Now, again, uh, and I agree with you on his point on that one. Like, and I, 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 and that that enforcement is racist. And again, if you look at all of it, again, like you were saying, you know, Annabelle America. I mean, we we had original gun laws to stop black people from carrying guns. And then again, back to like you know the Ronald Reagan days when he's got. I mean, the Black Panthers are the reason why California. Um, started, uh, you know, stop concealed weapons and open carry yep. all over the place. It, Ron- because Ronald, of- Ronald Reagan is the reason I can't have a machine gun, and I yep. forever resent him for that. Yeah, Ronald Reagan was actually very anti-guns. It's weird that, like, yes. pro-gun Republicans worship him so much because 
Ronald Reagan was one of the, I mean, Bill Clinton's got nothing on Ronald Reagan. That guy is the LeBron James of screwing over our Second Amendment rights. But real quick, I just <laughs> oh, I agree. before we lose it to Josh, um, uh, uh, to jump and just make sure I make enemies of everyone in this chat. Um, something you said that actually is an argument that I hear all the time that really bothers me is the pretext of Second Amendment is a well-regulated militia, right? Now, Again, if we have to go into, and again, I am not a fan of caring what a bunch of slave-owning bastards thought about the law, but the, the spirit of the law was that there should be no military. So it's like, if you're going to say that like owning a gun should only be part of a well-regulated militia, but that's fine. But that was what the national defense was. The founding fathers did not want a military. They wanted a yeah. national guard of armed farmers just sitting around America saying, fuck around and find out. That's what they wanted. <laughs> and all, and, and again, the idea of a standing army very much flew in the face of it. George Washington had to start making one. It really upset him that he had to do it. We started with Shays' Rebellion. It snowballed from there. But the point was there wasn't supposed to be an, an, a military. So I would say, sure, but that would require the abolition of the military. So if you're going to say that the only right to own a firearm is if you're part of a well-regulated state militia, sure, but then you have to get rid of the Army, Navy, and Air Force and Marine Corps and Coast Guard. And if you're going to do that, that sure, because, would be great. <laughs> but then that then that well-regulated militia, like a lot of people say, oh, well, your AR-15 can't take down an Apache attack helicopter. But now we don't have Apache attack helicopters to worry about. Now I only have to worry about local tyrants, people who actually will be afraid of my militia. And See, that's power to the people. You're not giving the police near enough credit, and you're also way missing the Pride Month joke here because the, the police would actually identify as an attack helicopter. Um, <laughs> <laughs> like, like the police would have a Pride painted attack helicopter. They, and be like, we're I, here I, to I, serve I'm in, you. I'm, I'm in California. I'm, they actually do have rainbows on their military equipment. Well, I mean, like so. the Navy named a warship Harvey Milk, like the USS Harvey Milk. Like, what? Um, for everyone who knows, Harvey Milk was a civil rights activist who uh, was assassinated back in. Uh, the 80s not for being gay um, because twinkies so josh i hate to feel like we're ganging up on you um if you're ever in northern kentucky i owe you a pour of really expensive <laughs> bourbon because we are ganging up on you i'm heading to kentucky hell yeah i, I look i'm cash poor but i have a decent bourbon collection um that's why he but, has his second amendment right to defend those liquid assets yes <laughs> yes no one is stealing liquid my bourbon asset. damn it um but Heller, actually, in, in the analysis of like what the Second Amendment truly means, identified the prefatory clause, so the, the well-regulated militia part, as more or less just a reason, one of the reasons why. And they essentially argued that it doesn't really have any force of law provisions in it, right? Because there's no verb. The, the verb is be, a well-regulated militia being necessary to the preservation of a free state. So basically, if you put it in an independent clause, it's a well-regulated militia is necessary to the preservation of a free state, right? So is is the operative verb. Regulated is not, right? And that's just a, that's more a duty statement than anything. It's you didn't like know you were going to get an English lesson from TJ today. <laughs> <laughs> the, the, it's, a, it's, a, it's an English lesson from Scalia. Yeah. Um, I'll play, you better cite your choices. Whoa, whoa, the professor may says, you, you, whoa, you got to cite that. <laughs> All right, 554 five, US, 560. Five, In quotations, there, there we go. Um, yes. Um, but um, the operative clause is a, is the right to keep a bare arm shall not be infringed, right? The well-regulated militia, they're, they're saying people need their privately owned arms because we don't want the standing army issue. And sure, we have a standing army now, 
But frankly, I think that the way that that's done is honestly constitutionally repugnant. I mean, Article 1, Section 8 makes clear that we are to have a standing Navy, but the ground forces, no, that's up to us, Um, which God help us if that actually is the case now, because, you know, like I'm a pretty decent shooter, but I'm not that well trained. Um, It's funny how this is also Ronald Reagan's fault. I mean, not much is it. The neocons, man, the neocons. But would you like, like to give Henry Kissinger a blank check and cut taxes at the same time? It's definitely something <laughs> vote like to give Ronald Henry Reagan, Kissinger. 1984. I'd like to give Henry Kissinger something, but I'm scared you get demonetized, <laughs> Ryan, if I said what I want to give him. <laughs> well, no, real quick, something I would like to point out that this isn't even, we don't even have to like stick to colonial times for this. Like, let's go real recent. How much different would the Ovalle school shooting have been? If there had been a well-armed populace in that town who wasn't afraid, or the police Those had police taken, would have taken, I mean, I mean, or that story that's come out of like one of the one of the teachers who was killed. Her husband was one of the police officers. She was texting him saying, "I've been shot," and his fellow officers disarmed him and yeah. prevented him from going in there and saving his wife. And you want to trust these guys to be uh, the gun owners? Um, if I'm not mistaken, I'm, the only reason the Valdi shooter was stopped was because there was an off-duty, I don't know if it was National Guard or police or what he was, but he took a shotgun and went in there, if I'm not mistaken. Um, I think that, that was, was like one of the that's only... That's the first I've heard of that. It was a Border Patrol agent. Border Patrol. He did take a shotgun in there. Oh, I know they. The I know they beat and cuffed a woman him. who then went in and rescued her children anyway. Yeah, because th- she was stopped from she, basically but that's harassing. Like, I want her, I want tiny her to be armed. Yeah, I want to arm this shit out of out of out of <laughs> communities of color. I want to arm queer communities. I mean, Stonewall. We we talk about pride. Stonewall mm-hmm. happened because someone was sick of the fucking government shit. <laughs> Ryan, I'm gonna get you demonetized. I am so sorry. My, <laughs> hey, I am so used to my We have no money. To be demonetized, so that's fine. I'll bleep it out later. Okay. No FCC um, strikes exist here. So Only YouTube strikes. People were very upset at the nincompoopery of the government and um, decided to cause a ruckus. And that is, and, and, and if we can, if we can, if we can create civil rights movements out of a brick, you know, like what happens when the populace is armed enough and stops being afraid? of rescuing their children from a psychopath. And so it's like, no, this is this is what the Second Amendment is actually supposed to be for, is that mm-hmm. when the local police department, when a bunch of scared-ass coward Barney Fife show up and they say, no, we're going to point guns at the people but not rescue children, those are the guys who need to be disarmed by force. They should have stormed those cops, taken their guns, driven the black and whites through the gate, and gone and rescued their children and killed the hell out of this guy murdering kids. But the police weren't there to do that. The police were there, again, because cops aren't here to prevent crime. They respond to crime. And police are not here to protect you or serve you. The police are here to protect private property and the status quo. And a bunch of angry people outside of a school demanding they risk their lives is not the status quo. And so they'll keep social order. They won't actually ever risk their lives. You know, individuals may. I'm not going to say there are not police officers who haven't thrown their lives on the line to rescue the innocent, but it's it, it is not comparable to things like firefighters and other first responders. What do you want to talk about? Firefighters would have charged into that building if it was on fire, even if they didn't have the proper equipment or backup. Uh, End of story. You, you want to talk about a deterrent, though? Uh, like we just had the Buffalo shooter who said that he literally went to this area in New York because of how strict the gun control was, and he knew that it was basically a disarmed population, and it was a yeah. population that he wanted to kill, which was primarily black and Hispanic. And so if you want to talk about a deterrent, having the schools 
better armed, better protected, better secured, having the people armed and secured. Those are great deterrents right there. I feel like everything that's talked about being passed, this just brings us back to the start of our conversations, empty platitudes. Like how in the world, I'm just pulling from the quote unquote protecting our kids act here. How is addressing safe storage of firearms to begin with? He, he, He had a legally possessed firearm. Like you've got so many systemic failures there that lead to someone who doesn't give a damn about the law to begin? If you're, I'm sorry, but if you're gonna go and shoot up a school, you already don't care about human life. You already don't yes. care about the law. Like telling me that I can't have more than ten rounds in my magazine isn't gonna affect me if I'm already in that mindset. He's gonna like, oh well, this this clip is red on the bottom. Whoops, my bad. Like it's not, it's not the, it's not the fair, way it works. I, I've got a California legal AK-47 with a ten round magazine. That would not prevent me from causing a mass shooting if I felt like going deranged and doing something terrible. Like, you bring multiple magazines. I mean, I'm sorry. If it's a 10-round magazine, you bring three magazines, you can kill 15 to 30 people in the blink of an eye. It's it's empty platitudes. Like Ryan said, it's do nothing. It's feel better politics. That's all it is. And it's dog whistles from the other side. There's no actual meaningful there. What I would say is if you want to cause prevention, again, armed communities that aren't afraid and i mean communities of oppressed people i'm not saying we need to you know fund the oath keepers i'm saying i literally (laughs) want over policed underfunded areas armed um and i would really like to see major consequences from people who violate that trust like i would like to see like again if you want to have a concealed weapons permit that should be your right and it shouldn't cost you a single dime you should have to go to a firearm safety course and a legal course and have to pass them but that should be on the government's dime it should take you a weekend like getting a motorcycle license you know it should be easy quick and and taxpayer funded so then we'd actually have a populace that is both safety-minded trained and aware of the legal consequences of being stupid. That is far more preventative than outlawing a model. Now, before we go into hot takes, Josh, you've got the most dissenting opinion. I want to give you a chance to say anything before we, because we've all just been kind of reaffirming. Back to back monologue, this is truly the Meg block. Um, Short monologues, but yes, before we go into hot takes, please take your your rebuttal, sir. So what, what I think kind of, pulls through is at the we are looking for some type of problem because it it, it, it only happens here um and uh, we'll expand that out in a more of the hot take of people are dep- depressed everywhere as much as they're in america people are people as much any as much anywhere as they are here in america yet this seems to only be a significant you know issue here so there has to be something going on in particular that makes America, you know, unique. And one of the best statistical outliers of how America is different from any other country is the amount of firearms that are available. Even inside of the United States, having a firearm in your house increases the chances that you will die by a firearm, not particularly your firearm, but a firearm in general. And that's that's happening at a national level, um, in my opinion, because while responsible, well-trained, disciplined gun users who can provide community defense, who can provide mutual aid, who can provide a town a sense of like security is beneficial if we just handed out a whole bunch of long rifles to the town and said, well, we're taken care of now, I would still be deeply concerned. Um, and that's where you're kind of like bringing the idea of like well-regulated of like – because we even talk about that. You know, as Chris, you're talking about like people going through a government class. Like we understand when we're handing off – these things of 
great destruction that has to be done with a significant level of mindful, you know, mindfulness and care about what we're doing it. Because, you know, even in a lot of the situations, our aspirations for being, you know, say on have on the scene a good guy with the gun. If you don't get, you know, confused and the police don't wind up killing you anyways, happens to a lot of people. Um, and or in a situation where listen as about you know you can take two mag you know you can take two magazines and dump them into a crowd uh not that long i don't know if like for anyone in the audience who's like isn't familiar with how quickly you can dump out a weapon or ammo from a semi-automatic rifle uh it's as fast as you want to the your response time is always going to be a level of triage uh when you're you know like providing any defense in that like level of you're gonna hear bang 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 and then you're going to get out of the brief temporary shock of that and then go for your own weapon, hoping that you haven't already been hit and or making yourself a target by drawing. You don't, you know, won't know in that situation. So uh, there's a lot of how we would like things to supposedly play out, but then there's a lot of stark reality out there to be observed. And uh, to me, that's, it only happens here and there might be a cause for that. And it, might be the number one gun ownership in the world. All right. Well, we will be back with our final rebuttals slash hot takes right after this. All right. Uh, Josh, for our announcements, you want to <laughs> tell them where they uh, can find our memberships available. Yeah. You can find our memberships across all of our social media on Spotify, Apple, all major, major streaming platforms as I close my internet browser, um, <laughs> Twitch and Google podcasts. Don't worry. I still like my this up. I just been to buy things. I was reading off the script. <laughs> Professional. Um, so you can find us wherever you can find uh, audio sources of any kind. It seems like the list and the different platforms grows by day as they come and fall. You're welcome. The Titan. Uh, I mean, I'm just excited to see that Google's getting into podcasting. I can't wait till it's abandoned uh, six months from now. Um, <laughs> Facebook lasts about a year. You had Facebook podcasts where you could launch it. It's interesting. So you can find us all over um, and as well on all the social media platforms like Instagram and Twitter and YouTube. Um, so we are as in many places that we can be. We do our best. And uh, remember that if you're interested in joining us before and after the show, most nights I'm in the middle of moving, so, you know, a little sporadic, but uh, you can join us 30 minutes before and after the show <laughs> if you want. Uh, if you're interested in that, check out our memberships, which are also linked in all of our stuff. And uh, remember, you're listening to the Central Hub for Political Discourse. All right. Uh, <laughs> Josh, your your hot takes. We'll go uh, Josh, me, TJ. Chris will bring us home. So... My hot take is the focus of gun conversation being centered around the government and tyranny is really cool, um, but it's a hypothetical that's never going to happen, and it won't matter when it does happen, if it similarly does happen. Um, it's called You're a Bunch of Infantry on the Ground versus United States Military, and assuming we're talking about some type of revolutionary war where the United States military is backing someone who's being opposed by the United States citizenship. So a lot of things have already gone long because I genuinely have faith in a lot of our military leaders that most of them, you know, would not go along with something, you know, like that. Um, but nonetheless, let's say we get to that state. Um, the conventional ordinance capabilities of 
the United States military just just it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how many armed civilians you have. If the government's like willing to slaughter them, then it just they will. Um, nothing in the world can oppose the United States military if the United States military really wants to. It can get its nose bloody. They can lose war of attrition's. But if it wants to fell a state, or if it wanted to truly just glass a section of the world, it could. Nothing could stop it. It's the United States military. Nothing. No other country. Nothing. Not us. Nothing. It's called firepower superiority. Go ask a corpsman. What's the best medicine? Firepower superiority. The government has a monopoly on violence. Because it wouldn't just be that because if we're at that state too you're probably fighting your local police department as well and that's why they've been getting militarized too um so and that's also why throughout this conversations i've stressed the point of well organized because if you're in that situation of where you think you're going to be in a, the position of running an armed resistance against a local police department or local military output for a significant point a, a period of time please know unit and field tactics um just don't get like slaughtered because you're just walking around in the open and won't keep your head down. Like, come just try. Um, like I said, it's still not going to matter. Um, they're just going to blow you up from thousand miles away. Cheers. Um, so my big point is you're not going to win against the government. Violent revolution <laughs> is suicide. Um, and on that basis, examining guns, when we're looking at, you know, where's the threat actually occurring of are people being killed by the tyrannical government going around and abusing, you know, guns or are people being killed by, you know, whether it's day to day violence that was where a lot of our gun deaths come through. You know, these mass shootings, as horrific they are, are the minority of gun deaths or the majority of gun deaths, which is suicide. And I think that also underlies a lot of the problems that America faces as well, that while those aren't big media skepticals, one of the reasons that that number is so high is that it's gun suicide. And it's not necessarily to say because we have an overly suicidal population. One of the unfortunate aspects of it is we're just about par for the rest of the world, but people here have access to make sure their life comes to an end because they have free and ready access to one of the most violent and destructive things that humanity has ever cooked up. I'm going to note before I go into my hot take that we really didn't even get into fully dissecting either of the bills that have been proposed. We didn't get into red flag laws. Like, there's just so much to this conversation. And, and I will start this off by saying it's one of the things that really bothers me that as much legislation as one side of the aisle or the other tries to ram through either the House or the Senate. That's what I meant by aisle. Sorry, not like Republican, Democrat. There's no discussion. Like, there is no discussion about the nuance. There is no, they just, they just do. And more often than not, it's through the empty platitudes. And so as you're listening to this, whether you agree with me, TJ, Josh, Chris, or disagree with all of us, you need to remember that in the United States, the Second Amendment is the law. It, it, it is what predates your government. It, it is not a right that is given to you by your government, which that's quite frankly one of the reasons that it bothers me when something like Chris had mentioned earlier as far as like – driver's license, like, the, like something equivalent to driver's licensing where you can be denied by the government, let's say, because I've heard proposals for that. It bothers me when they're giving that power to the government for a right that was supposed to be inherent. And I think that it's important that we remember that any of these restrictions, even though, you know, the, the restrictions that Josh has talked about and Chris has talked about, 
you can argue the merits, and I don't even think that they're unreasonable, but I think that it's important to remember, and this is always going to be my perspective, that they're going to be unconstitutional by definition. I think if if the Democrats, especially in the left, really think that as many people are on board with this as they're claiming, call a vote, call for the constitutional amendment, because by the numbers, they're saying they should have it. And legally and constitutionally, that's what they're supposed to be doing. I really think for my second one here, um, I really think it, it bothers me when we return to these empty platitudes, especially during an election cycle. I anticipate it. I understand it. I, I think it's garbage. I think that they're capitalizing on tragedies and then they propose things like, you shouldn't be allowed to have more than 10 rounds in your magazine. I'm like, that had nothing to do with what we just saw. None of the proposals that we saw from the House of Representatives in their Save Our Kids Act would have prevented any of the last three or four mass shootings. So there's a huge disconnection there. I think the Senate is the closest that we've seen to actually addressing some of the key issues. I will cover that in a Bill Me segment once they get that legislation out. Check it out if you're, you're interested in seeing what they're proposing, though. I think by and large is fine. The only thing that I've been in favor of that the House of Representatives proposed was up to $400 in tax rebates if you purchase an approved safe for your guns. And I was like, you know what? I get behind that because I'm going to keep mine locked up anyway, so I might as well get a tax rebate for it. Um, I, I will close with my last take saying this idea that it only happens here is incorrect. And the, the only way you can claim that is if you don't look at crime as an ecosystem, you look at it as just gun deaths. Because, of course, you can say if a country has zero guns whatsoever, they'll have fewer gun deaths. But... What Josh mentioned earlier, as far as we're the only country to count suicides as a part of our gun deaths, we count law. So if someone breaks into my house and I kill them in self-defense, we count that as a gun death, even though it's lawful. Like we count everything. And so a lot of those numbers are skewed. And I encourage you to look into how those are broken down because a lot of times they're politically manipulated. And uh, that, that'll be my last hot take. All right. So my hot takes, I'm going to build off of Ryan's there for a little bit. If a team of four people go into your house and you shoot all four of them, you're legally a mass shooter under our current definitions. Um, so that just demonstrates the meaningless words part. But on to my actual hot takes. Um, first, pretty much it's all unconstitutional. Uh, shall not be infringed is pretty clear on what it means. And I agree with the history and tradition analysis that Justice Thomas released on the Bruin decision. Um, but Frankly, I think that no law in the First Amendment capacity means no law. I think that the shall not be infringed means shall not be infringed under the Second Amendment capacity. I don't think any of it is constitutionally permissive. Um, so, yeah, there's that. I mean, if there's a law in the books, I'm probably against it both on policy and on constitutional grounds. I mean, Sure, let's amend the Constitution and make it where you can't own a biological, chemical, or nuclear weapon because, you know, they have no defensive use, I guess. But I'd also like to – but I'm, I'm much more focused on banning the government from owning those. Um, that's my second hot take is I, I am an active proponent of gun control. Um, we need to disarm the government, okay? They have these weapons that are just absolutely obscene. They have this long-standing history of mass murder and mental illness and incompetence. I, I'd say that they are they are prime to get red flagged. I mean, whether it's under the Ronald Reagan presidency, who was so racist that he changed the gun laws for an entire state, or if it's Joe Biden, who somehow thinks that limiting magazine capacity is going to stop the lethality or thinks that a nine millimeter round is going to blow someone's lung out, the most common self-defense weapon of all time. Um, third hot take, John Cornyn and Mitch McConnell are treasonous bastards. Um, 
the Senate bill is um, is public, and frankly, they should be uh, they should be. Re- I mean, frankly, I'd support repealing the Seventeenth Amendment so the Texas and Kentucky legislature could recall them and force them to resign from the Senate in disgrace for that bill. They should be ashamed of themselves for their flagrant disregard of our Constitution in that bill and in hundreds of other bills that they have forced through. Their career is that of a sham that has disgraced people both on the left and the right. But people, for some reason, keep on reelecting them because we should vote red till we're dead, by God. Uh, My fourth hot take is they don't want to kill you. They want to rule you. So these wars of attrition are actually more feasible than people realize. I mean, I'm not advocating it. I'm 100% against any like act of violence in all reality, unless it's an imminent self-defense situation where it's totally justifiable. But I mean, the people of Vietnam were able to do it. And like, we didn't want to kill the people of Vietnam. We wanted to rule the people of Vietnam. It was empire building. It wasn't stopping communism. We wanted to expand the American sphere of influence. We wanted global government as, as Henry Kissinger's wet dream. Which by the way, that thing I want to give him is um, an America that only controls America. But if they don't want to kill the people of Vietnam to take the resources in Vietnam, why would they want to kill the people of America? Not only is it the resources that we have, but we're, tax, we're their tax base. They kill us all. They don't get paid. Like, sure, they might glass a city. But if people persist beyond that, like, realistically, I, I'm just going into strategy. Again, not advocating anything because, God, that would be bad. And, frankly, the First Amendment still exists and due process still exists. And the courts are still overwhelmingly, like, affirming things that, like, kind of have said the First Amendment's still intact. Second Amendment's still intact, as is shown today. You don't need violent revolution right now. My last hot take is we need a part two to this episode. I, I want to I talk about Bruin. I want to talk about how red flags are the most unconstitutional piece of legislation I've ever seen, no matter how they're written. I, I mean, I want to talk about these bills and talk further about why John Cornyn and Mitch McConnell are treasonous bastards. But so, yeah, those are my those are my hot takes. And thank you to Heaven Hill for the sponsorship. Uh, well, I would like to thank TJ for that legal advice. Um, and <laughs> <laughs> But I actually no. have to say, I, I had to put that dig in there um, <laughs> because I'm, I'm disturbed at how much I've agreed with you today. Um, I think we need to go out drinking because one of us is going to convert. Because uh, I don't know if I'm sliding into libertarianism or you're coming into socialism with me. Um, but but you make a lot of really good points. Like it, for red flag laws, like to take these in reverse order, red flag laws, um, I completely agree with you, are insanity. Um, we're going to trust the nation that established slave patrols that they're going to be able to detect someone who's worthy of having rights. I can't think of a nation less well-equipped. I can't think of any government less well-equipped than the United States to decide who has rights. The Supreme Court is currently struggling with that right now. The Supreme Court could not currently pass kindergarten with what they think a person is. They can identify anything. Um and, and it terrifies me. Um, I would like to say, though, that I think, um, you know, when it comes to constitutionality, that, yes, um, bans on guns are a violation of the Second Amendment. However, I do not I'm not an absolutist in term. I am an absolutist in terms of the text of the amendments. I'm not an absolutist that the uh, the Constitution uh, was written by Elvis and delivered by an angel and shall never be changed again. Um, I am, again, far more of the opinion that the Constitution should be er- 
torn up, burned, and rewritten every generation. And I think we have a big problem now because that didn't happen. That's what Thomas Jefferson wanted. He wanted a perpetual state of revolution. He wanted a constitution that changed every generation. And I don't think we would have a lot of the problems today if we continued to rewrite the constitution, go back and forth. I mean, that's what the French have done. And I got to tell you, as fucked up as that, messed up as that country is, they have a far more functioning government and civil structure than we do. Um, they're not on the brink of civil war constantly with each other. And we have states now wanting to secede again. I mean, really? We're, Texas wants to go 0 and 2? That's what, that, that's what they want to do? Um, to bring up Joshua's point of like going against the military, but I have no dreams of fighting the U.S. Army. I don't. I, I have. I have plenty of firearms. I don't own firearms because I have a dream that I'm going to take out the First Army Division. Not a chance. Not a chance. But that's not the Tyrion I'm worried about because again, we've shown time and time again that the Pentagon officials have no interest in killing off American citizens. That's just not their goal. They have no interest in establishing a dictatorship or Trump would still be president again. They turned on him because they believe in the Constitution, which, again, I think should be changed. But I agree the Constitution is the highest law of the land. And to simply say that because public opinion has turned on something that therefore it does not hold legal weight is scary. And that is terrifying because all my civil rights depend on the most unpopular one being upheld. Even if I hate it and disagree with it, it doesn't matter. You know, if we have a right and a and part of the Bill of Rights and a constitutional amendment that can simply be discarded because enough people were mad about it, that is absolutely terrifying. I am a firearms owner to protect my community. And I got to tell you, I am far more worried about other people and police than I am the military. And I got to tell you that every single time we've had an advancement in our society, whether it's the end of child labor, having a weekend, having rights at work, OSHA, these things happened because people had guns and, and, and people were afraid of them. Okay. We want politicians and business leaders to be terrified that if they do a bad enough job, someone might actually storm their mansion and lynch them. Like, that's what I want. I want every single person in the Senate to be like, you know, if I suck enough, they will kill me. Like, I want that to be a fear in the back of their mind that, like, the public could turn on me if I really betray their trust enough. That's, that is how you ensure rights and democracy. It is not through legislation and taking away rights. And if we're going to go by who thought what, right? Karl Marx, under no pretext should arms and ammunition be surrendered. Any attempt to disarm the workers must be frustrated by force if necessary. And then we got Ronald Reagan, who said that no, you, no one should walk around the streets with a loaded weapon. It's like, and one of these guys was, in, was, was concerned with the body politic and the safety of the working class, and one of them believed in selling weapons to terrorists. <laughs> no one is more dangerous with a gun than a neolib. So... I believe in arming communities that are affected. I believe that community protection for themselves at the small level. Again, things like Uvalu. We don't have to go back to colonial times. We have a policing problem because that's not. there's no fear. I want the fear and oppressors to be like, you know, maybe, maybe if I kick down this door and rob this guy, I might not go home. Maybe I should leave his house the hell alone. I want castle doctrine for everyone. And that is only done through enforcement of lethal force or through procurement of lethal force. And that's the only way because legislation will not protect your rights.
Well said. Uh, yeah, I am surprised. Uh, if you've heard conversations between me and Chris in the past, you are well aware this is the most we have agreed. So we will <laughs> we will definitely have to do a part two. Yes. Uh, I don't know when we'll do that, but we'll we'll have him back again, and we, we will have Chris back for that part two, and and TJ, and and Josh. <laughs> All right. Remember, you can find us on Spotify, Apple, YouTube, Twitch, and Google Podcasts, and follow us on our social medias to stay updated. We'll let you know when we're having more guests on. Uh, if you enjoy this show, give us a five-star review. I have linked Chris and the Alt Left podcast below and in the description of our audio-only version, so give their show some love as well. I'm sure you find yourself somewhere between the liars. Goodbye for now. Bye.